Intro, please, Borvac. <laughs> <laughs> he even muted himself. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's your intro, just him laughing. <laughs> Fuck's sake! Welcome. <laughs> welcome, welcome. That's it. We got our welcome. We're done. We're done. See you later, guys. That's all we need. <laughs> so, welcome back to the Ruby Moments podcast. <laughs> Trust the Ollie to fuck me in the <laughs> Trust me, trust me. It's a chicken and shoes, you look away from the chicken in the shoes because it's podcast time. We've got a cover, volume 8, chapter 3, with our new formula. So to start with, we aren't going to be recapping the episode anymore in the podcast going forward. Instead, we're going to be going around in a sort of a roundtable style. Though it's a bit square because Discord has squares and Discord is random. But going around, bringing up some points that maybe we liked or disliked or really didn't like. Or maybe there's highlight moments in there or tiny small things. Such as like with time here, most likely notice the small animation errors. Such as Blake behind the Lancer in Volume 5. But we are going to be looking at Volume 8 Chapter 3 strings. And to kick this off... I'm going to bring up my first point. And We're not going to introduce ourselves. Don't need it. People don't know who we are. Uh, no, that's we the point. <laughs> that's the point of having your names on screen, you name. <laughs> that's why I made your names on screen now. Alright. So, if you guys don't know who these guys are and you can't figure out from their names, then I will say let us know and we can add the names in in the next podcast if this doesn't work out sort of thing but you should know who these guys are by now because they've been here for a, a, quite a long time you know time Borvac, Pink and Watts etc well not Watts fate that ah, whatever you want to call him say. whatever you want to call uh, him whatever you want to call him call him that but I'm not Vegeta <laughs> but the first point I want to bring up is I honestly do wish that we could actually see a maiden training with her powers. Because we don't get an explanation with, like, say, Cinder or Raven or even Penny, how the maidens are just able to use their powers and abilities. Like, we see no maiden training or no explanation how they should be able to activate their powers. And I kind of just, like, want to see that at some point. Maybe with the Summer Maiden or the next Summer Maiden training... I don't know. It's just... Is it wrong to ask to see a maiden training? So we can get a better understanding on how they can activate their powers and how they can get an understanding on their powers? Like, it should be something that should be learned. And I kind of get the feeling that maybe what Kruby have gone for is the knowledge of how to use the powers is passed on to the next maiden, so to speak. But I really don't think that cuts it in my opinion but that's the first point i don't think one of you um, but... uh, i feel like with that kind of thing no like it's kind of like, i mean considering the situation there and it's kind of hard to you know train with a bunch of powers which i i mean i understand that you want to see people train but the thing is like like we don't know if raven i mean raven trains all the time but we don't know if she trained with the maiden powers like she could like 
and with Freya, we don't know if she was a huntress in her past life. She just had that. We just knew she was the Winter Maiden at the point before it was given to Penny. Yeah. So the question is, so the question is, like, what if it's like more of just a feeling thing? Because obviously, it's part of your soul. It's part of your, you know, your aura. Like, maybe it's nothing you can train with. Maybe it's just something that you feel. I know uh, that's I... cliche, but Ruby hasn't, you know, gone off the course of being cliche of not being cliche. Yeah, true. I do think there is a training limit. Because in Volume 7, it was implied that Freya was a fully realized Maiden, which means that there is sort of a higher power level that Maidens have, but we don't know how that is unlocked. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like um, in My Hero Academia, where uh, with All for One, uh, um, sorry, sorry, uh, One for All, um, like there's different sort of percentages of how much you can use before you can use the full percentage, like fully to your best to your ability. Yeah, maybe with the Summer Maiden in Vacuo, maybe we get the Summer Maiden training Winter, and Winter training to become a fully realized Maiden to defeat Cinder and help defeat Salem. Maybe that's a point Winter's that can come up. fine by herself. <laughs> maybe, but... Once again, though, that just falls back into the same thing. How the, the, how the hell do you know how to use the Winter Maiden power? Like, how do you know how to use the Maiden powers? Yeah, because we know... magic. Because we know with the Maiden powers that the aura does transfer over as we see later on in the volume, and we'll cover that when we come down to that, because that's towards the finale. But, Borvac. Hello. <laughs> I understand that you have some points, and we would like to hear your first point. Well, uh, Konami code, Penny. It's straight and simple. It's just a neat little thing that happens right near the beginning of the episode. It's just... Penny does the Konami code. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know what that is. Found that. I honestly don't know the what Konami that is. The Konami code was a, a famous fucking... Uh, has been a famous code throughout all of technology... Well, technological gaming stuff. It's, it's essentially the secret code to unlock Easter eggs pretty much in almost any game. Back in the day. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> but if no one else has yeah. anything to add on to that one, we can move over to Pinky. Hello. Um, so I've kind of um I don't know if it was my first point, but I guess it I get but to me it's um to an important point of one of my favourite characters of Nora and her Basically, what she's going through, not just in this episode, but obviously later down in the volume with her whole self-doubt kind of thing, like her not knowing whether she can be just like, who is she without Ren? Because she's always been with Ren and she's always and as she's put, she's just known for uh, being strong and hit stuff. Yeah, I mean, be be strong, hit stuff. Like, that's all she's known to be. Like, she still doesn't know who she is, like, as a, like, as a character. Yeah, it's... Like, obviously, obviously, we love Nora, to, like, as to who, like, of who she is. We all love Nora. Like, like I said, she's one of my favorite characters. But it is kind of noteworthy to know that even she is having that kind of self-doubt. Like, she doesn't know who she is without Ren. Yeah, I mean, it's taken a little while, but we're finally going to be getting some Nora development over the next few volumes, and especially in this volume, this chapter definitely starts that mm. 
finding out who she is on her own sort of arc because she's always tagged along. The... Should I put the scars with this or should I leave that as a separate point? You can bring up the scars if you want to bring up the scars. If it's yeah, because I think it's also because I think it's what's going to be part of her self doubt because obviously it's brought up in later volumes is um uh, uh during the uh actually I'll be another point but during something uh basically they get locked in via an electric uh, um or yeah by an electric uh, sort of door which Nora just smashes or you know uh, because of her semblance uh, takes in all the electricity. And obviously that creates the um, the permanent scars that she has now on her, which I think obviously it goes into her whole character of hitting stuff like, uh, sorry, being strong and hitting stuff hard. So that's like another part. And it's just like, uh, kind of like, uh, like she, uh, no, because that's kind of going to spoil, well, I guess we've already spoiled a lot of stuff, like going into a later volume where she says, you know, another ditzy move by Nora, like something like just something that she knows that all like, either she can do or something she's just known for doing and so she just did the thing that she knows she can like she's known for still keeping within that whole like i'm strong and i hit stuff even though she wants to be something more or she feels like she can be something more but she just doesn't know what that is yet yeah because the one I thing like that. I, I, lo I love the new i love the development of what they're doing with nora because the one thing that we've known with nora is like She's always been Ren and Nora. That's how they've always been referred to. And, like, she's always tagged along with Ren wherever he's gone since they were kids. So, obviously, yeah. you're looking at a good... And she was always the one... She was always the one called upon when you needed just something done. Like, like when... Like, Jean just telling Nora, just hit them with a hammer, and then they win the fight at the Vale Festival. Yeah. Like, that so, kind of thing. Yeah, so, Nora's development is going to be interesting to see going down the road. And... Yeah. Speaking of going down the road, we're going to go down the road and pass the ball to time. Well, necessarily the the the, the first half of the the uh, episode is kind of well. It already it, that was that that was the most surprising part to me when Ruby's semblance was explained by Penny. Oh, uh, I knew this was gonna go. I knew someone was gonna bring this up. Oh, yeah. So, in theory, it's broken. Because the way Penny said it, it, it can break things down at a molecular level and disregard mass. So, A, it could be the ultimate delivery system. B, it can be the ultimate delivery system. It could. Say, nah, I don't know, a uh, explosive i feel like it's only i feel like it's only made overpower though because she can do it with not just herself but with multiple people exactly so then so then does that go without saying like when she splits into three she's splitting her own molecular level in three before it comes back into one yeah because yeah. in theory now all of her molecules are being turned into rose petals that's he, she is just made of rose petals I'm not even going to go into how possibly strange that is. So, so would there then be a limit to how many people she can do it with? There has to be, right? I honestly think that they no. would put. Um, I honestly think the most we've seen her do it is with four people. I honestly think that they might put a limit on it. Like, if she carries more than like four people, her aura could be down at a crystal. 
because her semblance isn't a passive semblance. Her semblance is one that can affect her aura. So maybe that did affect yeah. her aura. Because when we see her reform with Blake, uh, Weiss, and Penny and Nora on the other side, is that Ruby is panting. So it's obviously putting a strain on her physically as well as like her health alongside her aura. So obviously maybe it's going to be a little bit more taxing to move multiple people, hence why she might not do that again going forward, especially in the vacuum arc. But I honestly like the fact that Penny is the one to understand the semblance. But that brings up the idea of how did she work it out? Now, I honestly thought about it myself, and I think that maybe Pietro watching the Vital Festival footage might have twigged it and worked with Penny to, you know, work out everyone's limits on their semblance and what their semblance truly is. So maybe Penny had an information on Weiss's semblance or Blake's semblance. Also because sort of robot. Yeah, no, she's perceptive because of... Yeah, I mean, to be fair, she was able to, when in the later down the line, when she has a fight with uh, Cinder... And Cinder is t like has a bunch of clones around her. Like she's able to know which one is the real one thanks to uh, heat signature, I believe. Yeah, and as Ruby yeah. says, as Ruby says, like she knew Blake was a cat fauness before anyone else knew. So yes, yeah, probably like X-ray vision, probably. Possibly. So she probably thought. So she probably saw the cat is through the bow anyway. To be fair, Penny's, Penny's I, as well. Yeah, like it's probably something that's just built into Penny because, you know, she's supposed to be like the, not the ultimate robot, but, you know, she's got everything that a robot has, uh, but having the disguise of a real girl. The old, uh, the old classic analyze, process, and react, I think, is what yeah. would fit with Penny. Improvise, adapt, overcome. Yeah, because she was going to be the future of the huntsman and huntresses, like, if she worked out, could there have been more like her down the line replacing the huntsman? Not a bad idea. Yeah. Oh, to be fair, I mean, mm. I mean, Ruby's semblance isn't the only semblance that's, you know, completely broken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. John, <laughs> like, there are, I think there are semblances that are more broken than Ruby's, but the thing is, four, I mean, four definitely, like, when she, like, landed on top of the stairs, she definitely was out of breath when she did it, so it definitely took quite a bit out of her. And it my question is, my question is, hmm. The, the question I would say with it is, like, how is she able to keep everyone's molecules from being merged together? Muddled, yeah. I'm thinking what if that's, the molecules... That's something I could see. What, that, what, could just, that could just be up to the semblance itself, maybe. Maybe, mm. what, you saying that's got me thinking, what if it's, because semblance is linked to aura, what if the aura is creating a separate field around the molecules, keeping them separate, so that way we don't get no mismatches of, like, Blake, Weiss, Nora, Ruby, and Penny combined into one horrifying creature. Maybe the aura is creating a field and suspending those molecules until they reform. That's sort of mm. implied when Ruby does it to Weiss and Nora earlier in the series, how you see Ruby's red and then the other person's color. Like, when they do it against the guys in Volume 4, you see red and pink. Then when she uses it on Weiss on the train, you see red and white. Yeah, and here you don't see. Eight, they are. It's just one blob. Yeah, it's one blob of red. <laughs> Either that's due to them being lazy with it and not wanting to do multiple different colors and keep track of a swirl, or that they just wanted to essentially say that Ruby's gotten strong enough that she can contain everyone. Yeah. So 
at least we get an understanding that Ruby's semblance is on a molecular level, and that's one thing that I think most fans were looking to get an answer to because a lot of us didn't understand Ruby's semblance as petal burst and that, and it needed a bit of an explanation. And I think some semblances do need explanations sometimes, but Fates, would you like to explain your first point? My first point is a bit of um, just a, a sort of a headcanon of mine from the start of the episode. When we see that out of everybody being dazed, Blake's hair is messed up, which is perfectly fine and understandable. My, but then we see that Weiss has her hair completely fine. So I, my personal headcanon is until Nora came up, Weiss spent the entire time just m trying to fix her hair. <laughs> because you know, how would what? she have? How would it not have gotten messed up by the shoot while Blake's did? Because it's the OP braid. It's the best weapon in Ruby. Mm-hmm. It's yep, probably just. It's probably. It's probably of where of like how, like how it's been tied up. I could see that. It's just still weird because we never see, like people complained about it in volume 7 literally just being one mass same with Blake's hair but it seemed that they only did Blake in that particular scene yeah it's possible that maybe Weiss, Weiss's hair wasn't affected because of the way it was you know held in by the braid because some hairstyles you can shape and they stay the same even if it's windy in that some hairs are like set so it's possible yeah. that maybe they set her hair like but we then do. That doesn't explain Nora's and Ruby's. Well, Nora and Ruby have short hair, and essentially all you got to do is just run your hand through it, and it goes back down. Mm. They probably they probably fixed it like after they came out. Yeah, unless the other option is is what if Ruby and Nora were sent up in a pod, but there was no spare pod for Blake, and instead she got the Brazil treatment that Weiss got. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil treatment. Blame Fates for <laughs> naming it. <laughs> Fates named it Brazil the last time we done the podcast on um. Oh, oh yeah, you're now you're going to Brazil now. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of nothing I you can do. About that. <laughs> Speaking of nothing you can do. The overall main big fight of this. Uh, chapter the Penny versus Team Hayes fight. It was pretty good. I mean, they were attacking one at a time and trying to work as a team. But an issue that I saw with it was when Elm was trying to cuff Penny. Like, he took a sweet ass time. <laughs> took a sweet ass time. But we know with the gravity bowlers that they can wrap around someone pretty quickly, as shown when the Aesops captured. Team Ruby, Junior, and Oscar and Crow at the beginning of Volume 7. So why didn't they throw the bowler around Penny when Marrow stayed her while she was floating in mid-air and have Bine, you know, bring her in? That would have... I will <laughs> actually say in defense of the fight, I think because of the platform they were on, because, I mean, all four of them can barely fit, like, within a line. So having them move around without falling off or bumming into each other is pretty hard, and... To be fair, they've always been billed as a group where, while yes, they're great as a group, 
like they kind of more do things individually and that just ends up helping the entire group in a nutshell yeah i mean mean, they don't and plus and plus they don't have the good luck of clover on their side anymore so they have to go so they're kind of lost without a leader so they're probably just doing their own thing at the moment while they're still trying to figure out like you know they're still going over the loss of clover the loss to uh root to team ruby because team ruby are better actually acting as a team rather than as individuals because their strength is with each other rather than with themselves and that's where i think Hayes goes wrong and that's why i think you know they didn't lose the fight because they're still better fight i mean penny is a great fighter but a four on one even with maiden powers is still you know very unfair especially when you have a team like the aesops who was supposed to be the best hunter uh, the best huntsman in atlas um and with semblances like them like it's not hard to see why the why the Aesops would win, or why they did technically win, um, they're still not going to be, you know, outbeat Penny because you know Penny's still great as fighter and doing it one on, and just going one at a time is probably just them being like, oh, I've got like, it's just them their own way of just not competing with each other, but them just saying like, I'm individually I'm still strong. Um, these other guys are helping out in their own way. Like, it's helping the team, but they're still doing their own thing. Oh, don't get me wrong. I I did enjoy the fight minus the, like, few flaws it had in that. And the one thing that I liked was Vine was taking control of the situation, which, when I first saw this chapter, I was like, maybe Vine could potentially be the new leader of the ASOS because he's able to, you know, get them coordinated and actually get them working together. Like, when Elm yeets Harriet off of a hammer and then literally throws said hammer at Penny... I think Vine could have honestly worked in that leadership position for the Aesops if Winter hadn't been put in charge later on down the line. But the thing I is, don't... we don't know how Vine would have felt anyway. Like, we don't know if he's the leadership type, though, because we don't know much about him. Hopefully, we, we just might know. know, he, know we, more. Ju- we just know he's the calm and collected one. He's essentially the maturer Ren of At- Atlas's group. He's like He's a bit like Ren from the Beacon era, so to speak. That quiet, stoic ninja. <laughs> but, Borvac. Hello. It's your turn, my friend. I just want to say, Team Rainbow has the best for any kind of character building. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he means... Both, both, Pink's, both Pink's team, as well as in the show. Team, oh, he's all about There's no rainbow in the show. There's no such thing. <laughs> Listen, I know it's hard to. Accept I'm suing you later, Rooster Teeth. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know Maybe it's hard to accept. Pink, it, but you coming for. I'm coming in, for you, Eddie. Pink, you gotta give in, man. You've got to remember, they most likely trademarked and copyrighted it long before you had the idea. Because these volumes are fought out a long time in advance. Eh, they can shove it. <laughs> but uh. But yeah, I I fully think that Team Rainbow in the show has definitely pulled off a lot more character building in comparison to Team Yellow. Oof. I mean, it, it's... can I add something on to that, Borvac? Yeah, go for it. I honestly would have much preferred it if Nora had been with the Mantle group and Ren had come with the Atlas group. 
given how Nora was the oh. more vocal about the issues in Mantle in Volume 7, I think she would have been better for Mantle. And having, like, Ren with Ruby, Blake, and Weiss would have been interesting. And I think things would have played out very differently if Ren had gone to Atlas. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm full in agreement with it. Like, but just with how everything is, with the two separate teams as what they were, Rainbow was a lot more in developing the characters in comparison to the other. Because it was, it was I'm going to say, just an absolute cluster of mistake after mistake with Team Yellow. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that they... The fact is, like, later on down in the volume, we literally see that Team Rainbow literally just do what Volume 5 was doing. They just literally sit around, not really doing much to push the plot forward while um, Yellow was... Talking. Yeah, while Yellow were basically off, you know... Safe yeah, but there was a reason. yeah, but there was a reason for it, though. Yeah, the fact they didn't just sit around and talk. They actually did something. Yeah, granted, we see, like, later on down the line, them fighting the Hound and that. That all comes down the line later on and that. But I would have honestly preferred a little bit more in the way of, like, you know, you had May there. Maybe May stayed with the group a little longer and maybe could have had some interesting interactions between Rice and... Uh, ugh, can't speak today. Rice uh, and Ren or Blake and Ren. I honestly think that Ren would have been the better outfit. To go on the sneaky sneaky. I, I, I reckon. I reckon. I reckon. So, but I reckon maybe he would have been better as he was pushing that view, where Nora was pushing the opposite. But then again, we need to take note that they have been flip flopping with Volume Seven and Volume Eight with a lot of things. Yeah. And also, I don't think. And also, I don't think we would have got the Ren that we got now if he wasn't with. Jean and Yang because of the of what he said to Jean and what and like what he argued about with uh, Yang. I don't think we would have got that same thing with um oh, with no. the yeah. with you know Ruby Weiss Blake and Blake because I don't think they would have brought it up. I reckon they would have just kept it hidden away somewhere. Well, I, I think reckon... outburst and it, yeah, we wouldn't have gotten could... Penny's development through Nora. Yeah, because I, I think because I, I really do I think reckon. Yang. I think Yang is one of the only people who would probably challenge him on that because he's one of the only ones who usually like speaks up against something. True, but and and he's had and the thing is, uh, the whole thing with Jean, like bringing up you know the whole like he cheated his way into Beacon. I don't think it would have hit as hard if it was from someone like Nora. I think having Ren say it made it more impactful because of what Ren's going through. Yeah, like, I, like, I, say... I, I, I honestly don't. I honestly don't think we would have got the 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 semblance upgrade with uh if he was with uh team if he was with Ruby Weiss Blake and Penny. Never know. Things could have played out differently, but we'll never know because they didn't go that route. But it's... and I'm fine because it was great as it was. Yeah. That's why what if story lines exist in that for fans to make in that. Mm. But since um, since you're up talking pink, what's your um, next point on this uh, beautiful chapter? 
So I'm going to leave one thing to Faze because I know he'll probably want to talk about it. Um, I oh, what do I want to talk about? That's a good question. Um, trying to think. Um, I actually would love to talk about um the the poster actually because I know that was a big thing that came out of the of the episode, which was the poster of the big shark faunus. With the whole, you know, Bill spilling the coffee and Grim. that. Yeah, oh, sorry, the, uh, sorry, the Grim, yeah, the Shark Grim. Um, that, like, that had to have come from somewhere, right? Like, it can't just be someone's, like, someone's just drawn up a Shark, a shark Grim and just be like, oh, yeah, we use that as our mascot. It's like, that has to have come from somewhere, right? I... Like, like, all fairy tale. It's kind of like what, um, what Crow said, I think, volume three, which was like, fairy tales all come from somewhere. I kind of think, like, when looking at that poster myself, when I had a look back through the chapter, I honestly think that is an artist, um, an artist's... Like, um, rendition. Yeah, rendition. Like, I don't... Possibly there could be Shark Grim out there, or Shark Base Grim that exists in the waters of Remnant, but I think that's maybe someone, you know, having a little bit of a fun art moment of just making a Grim Shark, telling people to not bring their drinks into mm. the tech area. But that's the thing, though. Yeah, that's the thing, though, like, even with artists, like, they don't just come up with, like, I know artists can just come up with something on the fly pretty easily, but sometimes, like, it's, but I know that a lot of artists, like, you know, they always have some sort of inspiration behind their, um, behind their art, and it makes me think, because we've seen Flying Grim and Ground Grim, and, like, Grim on the ground more than enough to, like, speak, like, to speak, or to go on, like, probably a three-hour tangent on what which ones are good which ones are bad and all that but we don't but we've never seen like underwater grim if they even exist i mean we know the sea long fae was like uh sorry no yeah sea fae long yeah the sea fae long and the love yeah like that like that was the like that was the last one we saw but it was also technically an uh flying green because it could fly at the same time as swim came from the ocean true but then yeah true but so it does seem to be like with underwater ones, they seem to be like giant ones. So I would love to see like a sort of like a megalodon kind of um, kind of grim. So something that's like super super huge. Maybe it's a case of like we know like with like grim and Atlas in the past was you're... a case of like grim in the past could not survive in Atlas and Solitos because of the cold. What if it's a case with water based grim? Some grim can't exist at certain depths. Like they just literally die when they reach a certain pressure in the water. Mm. You never know. Hopefully, hopefully one day, like if, say, for example, we go back into like the first wave of humanity and we have a bigger, more open world, maybe they can bring in some sea grim then because we know the grim were created by the god of darkness. So they were grim around during that time period. So who knows? True. There's always, there's always I mean, chance. When we for go, them. I mean, when we go to, uh, when we go to vacuum eventually, we'll get a lot more like grim under the sand. Like, yeah, we we'll we'll get like the before the dawn oh, and after oh, the fall. We get there after the form before the dawn grim coming in, like the dromedon, the yeah. spitting camels, the uh, giraffes, which are the fifteen foot fucking giraffes. That's going to be interesting to and see those... how the animators do that. <laughs> and I think they were like jackalope kind of things, or like rabbit yeah. kind of ones. Horned rabbits, yeah. uh, jackalopes, and you also that was it, have... yeah. But you also jackalope. got creatures. You also got only creatures. You got normal creatures like the sand sliders, which are these giant turtles. Yeah, and the giant crabs uh, as well. Ah, uh, mole crabs. Mole crabs. That was it. Classic mole crabs. Time. Do you like mine? Uh, mole crabs. 
Or have you got another like point? Crab. <laughs> That's a great. That was a great segue. <laughs> I'm trying here. I'm rusty. I'm rusty because we haven't done this for a long time. I'm rusty. I thought you wanted over. No fucking moron! Pull back! I'm so upset. I'm so upset. Time! I'm happy to say something about crabs. Uh, crabs crab, are itchy. Crab. Crab. But I mean, time. I crab rave, but people shouldn't have crabs. I, I have nothing to add to crab. Crab is crab. But do you have anything crab to add crab. to. Do you have anything to add to crab chapter? Crab chapter? Yeah. Do you have Short any points? Pretty neat. <laughs> uh, that's that's about it, honestly. What would be your second point? What is your second point on your list? Uh, well, I mean, I guess we we covered it briefly, but uh, the Aesop's fight that was well, it was something. It was. Something. It was. Slow in certain parts, sped up in others, and overall, in my opinion, it was kind of boring. How was the... I guess you could say it was Thunderstruck. Felt like a an Adam West fight. From the Batman. From the old Batman. Yeah, from the old Batman shows. <laughs> so given that... You just needed the kapow. So given that time is our resident... Um, animation type guy bird thingy what was like how was the animation to you in this fight was it on par with what we've had before or was it volume five level no it was on par with what we had before that's the one thing i have to say about well the entire volume most of the animation is very consistent yeah there hasn't really been a visible fall off except like well, one or two things in the background that literally no one will ever notice until I point it out but that's the one thing yeah. with these birds they see everything <laughs> but, oh yeah. yeah no another thing is uh, going back a few seconds uh, Blake went to grab the handle of Gamble Shroud and just completely missed and I found that funny <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that I'll have to go back and see if I noticed that now that's gonna be that's gonna be one thing that's gonna plague me, since you were the one that pointed out Blake with the Lancer in Volume Five finale, where she literally just freeze framed behind the Lancer waiting to move. <laughs> I pointed oh, yeah. that out. Was it you, Pink? I thought it was. Time. It was me. Because it. Yeah, yeah I no, because the podcast though get memed. I stole your Blake. joke. Yeah, because Blake, like, yeah, because time Blake, got angry uh, at me for bringing it up. Blake needed to be cut by Adam in Volume Five because she jumped into the line of the blade instead of behind it. <laughs> she just jumped into the strike. It's fucking ridiculous. It is I ridiculous. Think I got mad at you, well, I mean, at least Yang intended later on in this season. Yeah, that's no. true. So, Fates, what is your second pointono? I actually have a twofer, but that's because there's two for this to, for this one scene, and of course, both of them are related to uh, Watson Ironwood. Um, one of them is a tiny nitpick, which I can sort of um, get out of the way quickly. I think it's a little disappointing when um, the alert popped up on Watts' computer, but Ironwood didn't get the, um, 
the notification on his scroll, mainly because, like, when the heat went out in Volume 7, everybody got it simultaneously. I just think that it was a missed detail. Like, the scene could definitely stay intact since Iron would see it on Watts' computer instead. But I just think that's a missed opportunity to be like, hey, Ironwood, um, you're the top in command. You kind of need to know that this is happening. Um, but the other thing is, I really liked Watts and Ironwood's interaction here. If it wasn't for the fact that Ironwood's uh, character from the entirety of Volume 7 in the last two episodes became his character, like... All the way until episode 11, he would never have had that interaction with Watts, but then this happened. Yeah. I, I, I personally preferred Ironwood in Volume 7 compared to Volume 8, with, even though he and these scenes were pretty good. I mean, Ironwood's character in Volume 8 started off strong with Chapter 1 with him yeeting sleep, and essentially, I think they were trying to set him up to be the main antagonist alongside Salem, but I think that, and I'll bring this up later on down the line because it's relevant to chapter 9, but I honestly reckon that maybe they should have had, you know, a bit more time to develop Ironwood's descent down this slippery slope because it kind of feels like we're just going into him working with Watts with no setup or build up behind it like because we know like he's planning on bringing penny in and using Watts to try and take control of penny and that and eventually down the line he'll send the aesops out to find penny but then that gets dropped i honestly would have figured it would have been you know better if like we maybe would could have seen like other Atlas teams getting involved and preventing our heroes from leaving? Be that way, sort of like, last-ditch attempt to capture her, and then when he realizes he can't capture her, he goes to Watts, knowing that he has to make a deal with the devil in order to get what he wants. Would have worked like out better. send Team Coffee to possibly be like, hey... Coffee ain't in Atlas! Coffee ain't in Atlas! Oh, I, 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 I meant... Um, I meant... Ne uh, Neon and Flint. Their their group, yeah. We, we already saw them interact in Volume Seven and Eight. No, we Icky. didn't see we didn't see Funky interact with Team Ruby, and to have them like with like it could be a desperation. They need to get Nora help, but then like the Atlas student teams or military are getting in their way, and we could have potentially got Weiss, you know, talking Flint down, and Flint lets them go. Would have been a nice little nod back to callback to Volume Three, where they were a bit at odds in their fight, but this time Flint's willing to let them go because one of them's injured, and he doesn't want to lose a friend because we know that Funky and Juniper, uh, Juniper had actually interacted in Volume Seven. So I just say like a little bit more build up and a little bit more you know, development on Ironwood, you know working with Watts would have actually played out better for his character descent. Like, once he makes that deal with the devil and he gets screwed over by Watts and everything goes downhill and he starts to starts to lose his mind until he reaches that snapping point where his semblance no longer functions like a normal semblance. That he just literally becomes that tyrannical, you need to take him out sort of person. 
I thought the uh, I thought we snapped when the whole like when he saw the chess piece thing. I thought that's when he snapped, like back in volume seven. That I think we like the chess piece was a case of Cinder letting him know that she's on the inside, and then Salem come in. We saw that he basically was starting down that road, especially when he tried to have Team Ruby arrested and alongside Crow and that. And then it feels like there's a gap between Chapter 1 and Chapter 3 with how he's going downhill. I would have honestly preferred, as I said, like a bit more development towards that as to why he's making a deal with the devil with Watts. And it could have maybe like one failed attempt could have been all that was needed. For him to work with Watts. I think with Ironwood, his downward spiral happened in two stages in episode 11. Like, the chess piece was basically him having a panic attack. Because I kind he of, uh... was intentionally set there. Yeah, but, but I if think, you think the thing it... that truly turned him was when Blake and Yang said that they were the ones who told Robin against his... Um, against his, against uh, his orders. Uh, uh, orders, yeah. That's what truly snapped him against the, the heroes. I think, though, you got to remember, like, he's still a general, so he's thinking militaristic, like, are you really going to let someone who, you know, who has hacked into your security multiple times, you know, like, the one who uh, hacked into your, um, into your robots back in Volume 3 during the Fall of Beacon, like, why not use that to your advantage, you know, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer, that kind of thing, you know, like, you use, like, Ironwood is probably just thinking like a general, like, take every advantage you can get always keep oh, make sure you always keep an eye on him but let but make him work for you so in that way you get the upper hand so in a way it's still him it's still you know ironwood because ironwood's always been you know a militaristic man we saw that back in when he appeared in uh the first time back in volume two slash three i can't remember which one but obviously when he brought a lot of his uh fleet to beacon and then he pretty much held back every one of his fleet into that was Atlas. um that was volume two. Welcome to Beacon. Yeah, and then and then in volume and then at the end of volume six, when we saw that he took back all of his um, forces to protect Atlas from falling, like Beacon did, he was he always kind of um, he always kind of was going on a downward spiral because obviously people were blaming him as well as Atlas, you know, being the ones that made. Um, Veil for or Beacon for because they were the ones who were supposed to protect it, but you know they didn't, and so he was kind. Of, and so when the heroes first show up in Volume Seven, I, it was him like being a bit more you know relaxed, like okay we can do this. But then the whole Cinder thing, the whole Salem finding out Salem is immortal kind of thing. I think that's when he started to think like okay, like. I can't count on many people anymore except for myself and my close personal people, you know, like Winter. Yeah, because he... Like, they... uh, like the Aesops and stuff, like people he knows he can rely on until this volume where we find out that he can't rely on them either, you know, certain people. But um, I think I think the end of Volume 7 when I think Winter called in, like, that Penny wasn't coming back, I think that's what really made him draw the line to just be like... Like the fact that he couldn't get Penny back to save atlas or you know to get the uh, relic out that's when he was like okay time to go back to just being an asshole general but that's because that's how has how he always thought he always thought militaristic because yeah. he, he he always wants to win the war yeah i can honestly i can honestly see and i can honestly agree with that i can honestly agree with that because like the one thing they did set with ironwood's character is kind of like what happened 
with Leo back in Volume 5 that he disregarded the orders and instructions laid down by Ozma for when the resurrection happens. Ironwood brought in people and told them about the relics, the maidens, Salem, etc. And then, like, he was he was going places. Like, as soon as Team Ruby turned up alongside Crow and the others, there was that hope, there was that shining light, because they already told Mantle and Atlas about Salem and about, like, what Tyrion and Watts was doing and that, and working towards that. Then after Cinder came in and fucked shit up, that's where the tables turned, essentially. And then things started to add up. And... One thing that I will bring up here, I can't bring up because we've already done chapter one, was that going back through volume eight, it kind of feels like maybe they were setting up for Ruby to be the one upset with Yang. Because we know Yang was the one that told Robin alongside Blake, and I would have liked a little bit of tension that way around. Instead of like Yang doubting her sister's leadership skills, I think it was meant to be the other way around. Ruby is a bit hurt or distrustful of her sister and Blake because of their actions led to the tables turning with Ironwood, essentially. Ironwood distrusting them. I think that's the way they were looking to go. I think they were just putting more pressure onto Ruby because obviously Ruby's the leader. She's the youngest. Obviously, she, you know, she's the main character. So there's got to be a lot more pressure put onto her yeah. kind of thing. I, I think that's where they were going with But to be fair... They were, like, later down the line, they were answering questions, or they were at least doing things that we wanted out of Ruby. Like, more character, more self-doubt, more, you know, actual emotion that's not happy-go-lucky. Oh, we can do this, kind of thing. Yeah, because she may have a flat character arc, but they're definitely adding things in to push that character. They're, they're, to push they're her finally forward. adding, they're adding the layers that I think we wanted. Yeah, and speaking of layers... This goes into my next point, my third point, is that we're actually starting to see, we actually started to see more from one of the happy huntresses, May, like her using her semblance to actually, you know, affect the sneaky sneaky mission, go Operation Sneaky Sneaky and get in there, and I'm kind of a little bit, you know, disappointed that we didn't see May versus one of the Aesops, I think it would have been cool to have like May versus Vine. At somewhere down the line. I always I always hoped during Volume 8 we would get the Happy Huntresses versus the Aesops and we'd finally find out what the history is between those two. Like, did they go to the... Were they in the same team sort of thing? Because I kind of have this inkling that maybe Clover... It's going, into, it's going into a territory that I don't think they were ever thinking of us to go into, though. Yeah, but that's the thing but, with Kruby. They put something in there... I mean, then... I mean, to be fair, I would, I would definitely love to see Metal Gear May. Yeah, I kind of think there's more story potential to come from the Happy Hunters and the Aesops in that. And this episode, definitely, like, showing May's skills, that she is basically the sneaky, sneaky, espionage, sabotage one of the bunch. Mm. That she knows her stuff. Maybe, and get, that... maybe we'll get more out of her in, uh, like, in Vacua, but I highly doubt it, since I... Vacua is not really their place. I think they're going to be pushed to the side until we get a future series with the Aesops, and then the Happy Huntresses will maybe be side characters in the Aesop series down the line. But there's a hope, and it's honestly like, I did like seeing May's semblance being used, and actually like seeing her use her semblance as this big dome that can be moved, so it's not static and stationary as it was shown in Volume 7. And 
one thing that's been going through my head is I've been trying to work out. We know some some semblances could evolve. What could May semblance evolve into? <laughs> that's one thing that's always been burning on my mind since seeing May semblance. Not unless it already. Not unless it already has. Yeah, you never know. It could have been that she could have just hit herself, and then it's evolved into and this now, big dome. Yeah, but that was. That honestly was a little fun. It was like one of those small little details that you'll always remember sort of thing. But I'm going to throw the ball at Borvac for his next point. Hello. Do you have your next point, Borvac? Or have you no points left? Uh, I've only got two like minor points. It's not even really that much of a thing. Uh, Mr. Crocker with fucking the coffee spill. <laughs> Bill with Mr. the coffee. Mr. Crocker from Elliot Parents. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my second point is that Harriet's still just as bad, like, if not worse than pretty much anything for the Aesops. I, I disliked her character. She went from very interesting to very, very unappealing. Yeah. She kind of just came... She kind of became more... I want to say jarring as a word, like, to describe her. Like, like there was something there with her and Ruby, you know, having the same semblance. And, I mean, though... And maybe we could have had a thing where she started to warm up to the Aesops and actually consider them as friends, but... They just kind of went around like, oh, no, she takes the job way too seriously. She's going to be a hateful character, which can work with people. But I just think with Harriet, they just, I mean, with Harriet, like, she obviously went too far with it kind of thing. The thing that I have a problem with Harriet and the, the way that they decided to take it is they decided to do character arc at the end of the volume. Because that's where they were saying... Because obviously they say, like... Because she's doing this because she missed Clover. Because obviously there is something there with Clover that she probably wanted. Or she thought like she thought she could have. But she never got it because obviously Clover died. Volume 7, yeah. if you haven't fucking watched it. Um, but that was her whole, like, you know, thing of... Like, how she wanted to get things... Uh, done, or she wanted to see a mission through because that's what Clover would do, but we don't know what Clover would have thought to do. So she's just doing it in what she thinks Clover want, like how she thought Clover wanted. I can kind of see, but we didn't get that to the very last episode. I can kind of see like yeah. what she, what they were trying to go for with Harriet, and that's basically the betrayal, the betrayal, and everything's starting to go downhill. That she gained what is commonly known as tunnel vision. That she sees one objective and that she will complete that objective to the best of her abilities. Given that she's a competitive one as well, that personality combined with tunnel vision makes her a dangerous, jarring character. That some people I don't, I don't know if this could have worked, but what if like in volume seven she started to warm up to the idea of friends, but then obviously Team Ruby betrays betrays them and then she says there's no point in having friends anymore. Like you could have had like a maybe yeah. a small scene of her saying to um I don't know, to someone just saying, I was, I thought, I thought friends would be nice, but then friends betrayed me. Then you could have had something even better, because then, because then, you know, Team Ruby was going to be them friends, especially Ruby, 
but then what Ruby did to her, and now she feels betrayed, not just by Ruby, but then, but um, also with the whole Clover thing, that's just two layers on top of why she did this. But the whole Clover thing, I think, came in too little too late, I think. And the whole yeah. the whole Clover, the whole Clover thing, we'll cover that down the line, and I will bring it up again when we get to that finale. But it just kind of felt like they gave her that for the sake of giving it to her. I think there could have been... A better a better way to handle it with Harriet's character and the Aesop's character. If they had had a bit more development, especially in Volume Seven and going into Volume Eight, if they had a bit more development each, then maybe they could have explained how, like, why they were so focused on this going forward. I just want to say the whole the whole thing with Volume Eight and the two day trial that was the major hindrance because everything's just really very obviously rushed yeah i mean if they, just if they had spaced it out like no a siege pacing. if they had spaced it, it out been, like uh... a siege with like how they had it with volume eight they had the first half being the siege and then the second half was getting into the action getting into the battle if they had spaced that out over four days instead of two days that would have honestly worked better in terms of being able to flush out the stories but one yeah, thing but, I that think, I... but I don't think four days would have captured the um the urgency like, in that. the the urgent yeah the urgency of trying to get everything done and you know that whole thing of like because within four days you could easily get like a bit of sleep at least with two days it's like there's almost no chance there's like very little chance like probably a two percent chance that you'll actually get some sleep uh, like and the only time you'll ever get some sleep is if you get knocked the heck out and Nora obviously found that out the hard way yeah and i mean one thing they could have done with volume 8 is you know have volume 8 and volume 9 be like a two-parter to the war the battle of atlas basically have volume 8 and volume 9 interconnected by the ending and the beginning of each one and then that way you've got enough time and enough space to you know flush out the amount of characters and flush out the whole story build the plot up a lot more so it doesn't feel like rushed and certain things don't fit yeah, but I feel like so with how the volume... battle doesn't become a breach again but i think with volume seven and volume eight being the longest ones you know in terms of length of episodes i think we probably had more than enough time to had to be in atlas just because since they were so long yeah like said, in terms of in terms of like not in terms of episodes or, i mean i know volume eight is in terms of episodes but also in terms of length of episodes compared to, you know, like volumes one through to five to five, like they were the longest. And we spent quite a lot of time in Atlas just doing some smaller stuff. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing with I am going to bring this up in a separate video. But the one thing if people haven't noticed it yet is that Atlas is actually the shortest arc so far with only two volumes for this kingdom instead of the usual three that we had for Vale and Mistral. So... I honestly think that maybe they should have kept the free, the free art, three volume arc, instead of going for two, just two volumes to cover Atlas. Not unless you count wherever they are in volume. I mean, I guess it's not volume connected. Nine, I guess volume nine, nine is just going to be like no. It's just going to be called nowhere or whatever. Like it's not in a kingdom. It's somewhere, but we just don't know where. But obviously, that goes into spoiler territory. Well, not spoiler territory, but like. That goes into theory territory. Speculatory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But speaking of that territory, Pink, what would your next mm. point be? Uh, so I don't really have a lot any more point. A uh, lot more point. I mean, one is a major point, I guess you can say, 
but one is a minor point. The minor point is being, uh, I hope it's confirmed that, you know, Bill... I mean, obviously, if anybody has read the books, we know of um, Velvet's dad being named William. And if you're from the UK, then you know that Bill is short for William, because uh, it can be. Don't ask why, that's just how it is. Um, I... I love the whole theory that, you know, Bill is Velvet's dad, because obviously um, she said that he works for Atlas yeah, uh, in, in some sort of fashion. I can't remember if it was anything specific, but I know but I know he just works in Atlas. He, but in terms of, oh, go ahead. He specializes around Highlight Dust because he approves yeah, so, of Velvet's weapon, so... Mm, so it could be the same person, might not be, I don't know. But my, I guess my major point is, even though I know we talk... I know... Fates has probably talked about what's already, like, what's in Ironwood. But it kind of begs a question, like, I get, like, you know, have what, you know, he's a genius inventor, you know, you don't have Pietro anymore. But did Ironwood not have a backup plan in case Penny went haywire? Like, he didn't have a fail... Like, like as a general, would he not have a failsafe for one of his own, like, you know, cre- like, one of his own people's creations? He'd be like, okay, if anything bad happens, we're gonna put this in her. I kind of got visions of Suicide Squad vibes going around this. Like, every member exactly, that works on yeah. that Ironwood has a detonation chip. So if you become the maiden and you f- refuse to work for him, well, not a detonation chip, But in a sense, like, if she turned on them, he could press a button and all of a sudden she listens to every one of his commands. Or a fact reset. So Pietro's remote access. Yeah. But, it's, uh, but it belongs to only Ironwood since he's the head of Atlas. Yeah. I mean, I do feel that remote access was a waste. But Looking I will at... say, I do love, um, I do love the ending line of Watts, which was, um, uh, instead of, uh, like, uh, if you can't beat them, make them join you. I'm just like, well, I mean, that's not the quote, but it's still pretty cool. Yeah, going on tonight, what you said about Bill, I kind of feel yeah, that yeah, Kruby yeah, are going, yeah. Kruby are going to do the dick move. <laughs> Of Velvet turning up and not seeing her dad in vacuo, thus meaning he died, and they are going to break Velvet, and I, I say, like, will do, riot. Do where they see all the people on Atlas, Velvet tries to find her dad, can't find her dad. Yeah. And then they tell her, like, what happened in Atlas, or something like that. And then you'll have maybe Velvet have her own little thing. Either that they or they wouldn't know what happened in the. They wouldn't know what happened in Central Command, would they? Because the only no. people there were Watt, Cinder, and Neo. And the no, idea. But you gotta, no, but you got to remember, Nora, Ren, Oscar, Winter—they're all there, and they'll be like, "We're bringing people from Atlas to um, evacuate right. for safety." But and Atlas, if they're going to no. go to near Shade Academy, then Velvet will be there because that's obviously where her and her team are. Uh, uh, they could see all these people from Atlas, and that's you know that will cause the whole thing to happen there unless they do make sense unless they do one of the um one of the moves that pink basically brought up in one of our conversations previously is what if like neo speaks but speaks in fox's mind when foxy's uses his semblance and neo neo apologizes to velvet for cinder killing bill in the command center what if it's yeah, so Neo that uses... So just to go basically, in a sense, like, obviously people don't want Neo to talk because there's a, like, because we don't know why she can't talk in the first place, so I just brought up the idea of, like, what if we don't hear her via her actual voice, but via a voice in... Because obviously we all know what Fox's, um... Semblances. Semblances of telepathy, where he can 
talk to people via you know uh via their heads and he can create links between many many people uh so that they can actually hear each other is how him and his team are able to get the upper hand on a lot of people because they can talk to each other via their heads thanks to fox uh because they're always linked with each other yeah um so, so maybe if he did just have Fox so he... relay what Neo says instead of just hearing sp- what Neo says. He just well, like, oh, well, she says she's sorry or something like that. Well, instead. yeah, you could do that because um, you could do a thing where because Fox can talk, obviously he's just blind, but he could um, like look at Neo and just be like like relaying the message apart from like I mean we could still hear Neo's voice. Like I don't think he would be against it. If it was via her head because then it's not her really talking; it's her inner thoughts. Yeah, so because have to wait and see. Expected. That is to me the only, like, one of the only ways you can get around actually hearing Neo's voice. It's via her head. Yeah, I honestly reckon that we'll have to wait and see what happens in Vacuo, especially yeah. given that it feels that Volume Nine is going to be the resolution to Neo's um, arc against Ruby, and that maybe they'll have her become a double agent or just take her out of the series after Volume Nine. But we will have to wait and see what happens down the road. Yeah, that's that's theory territory right there. Yeah. So gonna move on to move on to time. If he has anything else, if the bird has anything hidden in his feathers. Yeah, no, I I honestly have nothing. You have nothing, so we will move on to La Fates. I only have two points left, and one of them is kind of just an a a really cool detail that I liked. Um when Ruby brings everyone in with her semblance to right before they get to the main control room, I like how everyone's reaction is different and it makes sense. Um, Nora and Weiss are pretty fine with it because they both were brought by Ruby semblance before, Volume 4 and Volume 6 respectively. Um, Penny knew what it was, so she was like, oh, so that's how it works. But Blake as sort of a mini callback to the beginning of the episode, which is like, nah, uh, uh, no thanks. Um, my hair's messed up again. Please don't do that. Even though when Ruby does it again later in the episode, she doesn't have a reaction like that. It was still funny. I mean, why you were just, why you were just talking face? I just twigged why Ruby is a bit out of breath in that scene. And it calls back to volume two. When Ruby tried to carry Penny with her semblance the first time. Oh, I think it also, I think how it works as well and how it might not be as overpowered as people think, I think it might be limited by how many people she carries in a similar way to how Ren, the more people he uses his um, his hiding emotions effect on them, the, the quicker and faster it drains him as seen in Volume 8 and earlier. Yeah. So, but speaking on semblances, I'm going to bring up my last point well second to last point because there is one more thing i will bring up um nora and her semblance the overcharging of her semblance was the highlight for me i honestly would say because this is the first time we've actually seen someone's semblance break the limits of what we know that they can do and the fact that it actually has those um ramifications like the it's almost like a punishment sort of thing for her overcharging her semblance and the fact that when she's charging up the scars that form on nora 
are still when her aura is up. Because when using a semblance, your aura is activated. So she's overcharged it to the point that her aura can't prevent the scars. So not only does she break her own aura and break a semblance, she pushes herself above and beyond what we've known her to be like. And honestly, I find it funny uh, that... It shows that there are, that there can be ramifications to your semblance. It's just how it depends on like if you push it too far, then something will push you back, and you can gain something like Nora did with the permanent um, with the permanent scars, and with Yang when she tried to use the semblance against um, against Adam and got her arm chopped off, kind of thing. Yeah, because I was going to say like it it parallels how Yang is with her semblance because when she uses her semblance. It's kind of like a last-ditch attempt with Yang that, essentially, after her semblance has been used, she has no aura, so she's vulnerable, and she's even vulnerable when she uses said semblance, because it essentially pushes her aura and her semblance to the max. Um, it kind of makes you wonder if Nora's is the only semblance that could be overcharged like this, or whether there's other semblances that could potentially maybe be overcharged like maybe harriet's um speed could be pushed past what we know or maybe hype which is coco semblance could be pushed past what we know if hype was overcharged bad luck getting worse it's um i think it's misfortune but i think what they're gonna try and do in terms of chrome i think crow semblance is starting to go in a different direction that they're gonna evolve it into something different where essentially maybe with crow semblance it's coming out negative because of his outlook and that as we go down the line and he becomes more and more positive especially towards the end of the series maybe he has what clover has looks on a positive side and gains miss uh gains fortune instead of misfortune i think that i honestly felt like that idea now that if Clover's semblance became negative, he gains misfortune, and Crow becoming positive gains fortune. That would have been a good... I think, I think we can leave that for a theory video. Yeah. Um, I will bring up my last point before we... Because I think you guys have no more points left. No, I one. don't. I have one. Nope. But I will bring up, going back to the main fight of this volume, uh, not this volume, of this chapter, we actually see what Fawn is. And we only see it once. After that, it does not get used ever again. It's it's a f giant shuriken, essentially, that has gravity dust in the centre. Uh, yeah. That, essentially, we only see him use it once against Penny, and then Penny no longer there. So it doesn't even do anything. Yeah, it's kind of like, I feel like they've set that weapon up for a future series with vine in it and that we may see fawn maybe more active in the um future series whether it's going to be an aesop series and maybe see why he prefers his <laughs> um why he prefers using his semblance because i could kind of see like the combination of his semblance with his weapon could maybe be a benefit hang on door just buzz i will i'll leave you guys to just talk about fawn for a minute in a minute i mean thorn looks cool like like I've ever said, it's just a giant shuriken, but it's, it's too bad. It doesn't get used a lot, though I get why. In my opinion, I, 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 
I I would be fine with it not being used. If, for example, they, if it still existed, possibly have a, like, a different version of Vine in, like, Amity Arena or something of him using it. Because then mm. it wouldn't at least feel like it's just a waste of design space. Because then it's like, oh, he does use it in something else. And it's like, okay, then it's at least not useless. But since, like, even then it just like see... Arena are closed down, then it just then shows it that. I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, we've seen with um, in Team Funky that Cobalt uh, doesn't seem to really have a weapon. So so we have seen people maybe without weapons and probably just assemblance. So why couldn't you just have Vine be that? Or did well, he need to have a kind of weapon for some reason? I'm, I am back. Hazel's we- oh, uh, welcome back, Velvet. I do want to finish my point, if that's okay. Because I was going to yeah, say, sir. I had an idea of, like, Vine combining his semblance with his weapons. So using his aura vine to add maybe more blades to fawn and using that stretchiness of the aura vine to literally make his weapon more lethal. Instead of throwing it, he's extending his arm out and using his arm, the extension of the aura vine of his arm, like a whip function. So he has like uses his weapon and semblance in conjunction with each other. And maybe there was a point that he just moves away from using his weapon, like his weapon is a what, maybe like a last ditch attempt that his semblance isn't going to work in a cer- certain scenario, so he brings out Fawn. Fawn ain't going to work in a certain situation, so he works up, uses his semblance. That's what I kind of get the feeling from with how they were going to go with Fawn. But we saw it, at least we saw it in this volume, and we finally got to see yeah. what it was like. Uh, At least you've seen it in kind of action. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be more from Fawn down the line. Like, the one thing that we know is that if it if it, if it turns up in a novel form, because after the film, before the dawn shown, like, we do get weapons in there that we've seen partially in action, but haven't seen the full potential of, like, with Velvet using a hard light copy of Feather's, Feather's Edge, which is Sky's weapon, and now knowing that that weapon is a rifle as well as a halibard so halibard been... <laughs> not a fish it's a fucking weapon not a fish fucking <laughs> but maybe there's potential to Alpha. see fawn yeah maybe there is potential to see fawn down the line like there are certain weapons in the asops that i think there's more potential to see from like seeing fetch used in its assault rifle mode more and maybe more in the boomerang I just had an. Seen Nadir actually use his weapon, like period. I don't of just throwing it on the floor. I don't know why. I just had an image of um, Marrow surfing on Fetch. That would be hard. Or snowboard, or snowboarding down Solitos when he was a kid in uh, in the academy, just snowboarding on I, his boomerang. <laughs> I have a theory. I have a theory, and it's it's linked with. Vine's weapon. It's just, what if the reason he doesn't use it anymore is just because that's how Tortuga died? What, Tortuga died to form? As like a last ditch effort in order to save everyone, Tortuga sacrificed themselves while Vine had to use his weapon. You saying that's kind of got me thinking what if Tortuga actually got killed by form like uh, Vine... i think i think that's something not to talk about right now we will have to do we will have to do a video about 
like the mis the mystery of Tortuga because we only get the name and we know that yeah. in a way he relates to Harriet because the tortoise and the hare motif there. So we'll have to do we'll have to do a special podcast of mysteries in Ruby where we just go into look at a certain mystery and spend God knows how many hours talking about it and crafting stuff around that. But are there any more points from you boys? I have one. You have unt one. <laughs> I have one left. Um, and it's honestly a bit of a personal nitpick. Oh I think that the virus was a waste of potential. Um, and the main reason why is in this episode, only in the in this episode, we see what it could have been instead, which was Watts directly remote hacking Penny and controlling her like Pietro did. I think that's a personal waste because in the intro, it's implied that Pietro and Watts would have sort of a like mirror of each other sort of possibility. Like one of them would be like they would be fighting each other in some way. And that never happens. In fact, Pietro after um, chapter five is not seen again. So it's like, it's honestly just a little disappointing because I can sort of imagine there being, um, like, even though it's a bit of a tangent, there is a SpongeBob episode where Plankton is directly controlling SpongeBob like a robot and speaking through his mouth. I could imagine that happening with Watts' voice coming through Penny and her eyes being red, like him using Penny to like insult other people like saying Pietro you've always been a you've always been second rate or something like that I just feel that was a waste of opportunity so basically Penny VR Penny VR essentially yeah. I will say to add something on to that point is that I think it was a good choice by Kruby to have like what's in Pietro's lab like that's just adding salt to the wound agreed but all in all I believe that is going to be us wrapping up, but I figured just get your final opinions on this particular chapter. So we'll start with Borbeck and work our way back through Pink, Time and Watson and on to me. And then that will Call be... Call me Watts again. I'm not Vegeta, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Borbeck. Virginia. Borbeck, your final opinions on this before you ride off into the sunset on your emu. Uh, well, it'd be fucking morning, uh, not sunset, so... Uh, final thoughts on this bloody episode. Um, Nora's a crazy girl. Nora's a crazy girl, best girl. Uh, Harriet is the worst girl. I don't know why they put them in the same episode. <laughs> it's a, it's uh, a mystery. It's a mystery. Pink. Uh, love the episode, love the volume, like, going up to this point. Good fight. Uh, nice little moment for Nora. And, yeah. Uh, just good episode overall, I like it. Is it time? OST was ballin'. Sound design was okay. The comedy was on point. I sleep. <laughs> he do the sleep. He does sound tired. Uh, so, yeah. what? Your final thoughts? Oh you called me Watts again. <laughs> um, 
You're Waltz now. Just get. Just I'm perfectly fine with that, but I'm not Vegeta. Um, <laughs> you're I not Vegeta. You're his twin cousin, Virginia. Oh, hey. I don't. It would be funnier <laughs> if I lived there, but no. Uh, uh, I think this episode was honest. Like on a rewatch, like a. Uh, I think it's a lot better than I originally gave it credit for when it first came out. But I'd still say it's average overall through the entire volume. But it's still pretty good on its own. Yeah. So, I'll honestly say it here and now that I did enjoy moments in the episode and that. But one thing, like, especially when going back through for rewatching and that, and, you know, rewatching the whole volume because I was bored, I feel that this episode, this particular chapter, could have worked as chapter four instead of chapter three because sticking this chapter between. The previous chapter of the Hound introduction and then what comes in chapter 4 kind of feels like it's out of place. And I feel like it could have worked better towards like chapter 4, chapter 5 territory. Or maybe like have the two Hound episodes with Oscar being kidnapped, i.e. chapter 2 and chapter 4 be 2 and 3. And then have this chapter lead into the Amity fight in chapter 5. I think that would have been a better way of linking it. Instead of having it in the middle feeling out of place. While it was a good chapter and a, a good written one as well, and the animators and uh, set design team really did do an amazing job with it. And honestly, seeing Nora get hurt brought back shades of um, Battle of Beacon. And essentially, I think we could be seeing a few more characters down the line getting injured in Vacuo and potentially to retake Beacon up. I honestly think that essentially this is reminding, with Nora being injured, I think this is reminding the audience that not all characters are invincible. That characters and heroes will get hurt in war. And war yeah, is the a... Longest, that's the long... And this is the longest closing thing I've ever heard. <laughs> can I... Can I just say, Volume 7, Volume 7 Penny put this ex explicitly, like, in words... Mm. Just the entirety of volume eight. It's just like Beacon it's again. It's going to be just like Beacon again. But yeah, all in all, yay! That is much more accurate than I thought. But yeah, all in all, we will be next week oh for chapter four, which is Ren getting the pinball treatment. So we got that to look forward to, and hopefully. It'll be the same cast, more than likely, but it depends because we might have our local Irishman with us. We might have the local Caddley doing his B-movie. God damn it, Borvac, why did you do that in the test recording? But yeah, all in all, it is going to be a farewell from Borvac. G'day. It is going to be a farewell from Time. Adios. It is going to be a farewell from Watts. I can't wait to see a kid get beat up again. It's hey. going to be farewell from Pink. Bye-bye. And it will be a good day from me, guys. Until the next video, have a great day. Giggity. Nerds.